So we've been learning about God's grace, and we're going to learn a little bit more about God's grace and His love as we continue our sermon series through the Gospel of Luke. We, we've finished the Sermon on the Plain, and now we're transitioning into a different part of Luke where we're going to see teachings and, and stories of Jesus. And I want to ask, before we turn to our passage, have you ever felt unnoticed or passed by? Maybe you were a kid in school and, and you would like want to answer questions and the teacher for some reason just had it out for you and always ignored your hand, right? Maybe you were um, picking, playing pickup sports after school and you were the, the kind of last one to get chosen. Or maybe you had a parent that just wasn't very emotionally or physically present to you and you just kind of felt unnoticed. What about with God? Have you ever felt like God's looking at other people, looking over your hand raised, and seeing other people, and feeling like, does God even notice me? Does he notice my hand up? Does he notice my love for him? Does he notice that I want to know him more? And if I'm honest about my own life, there are seasons where I've felt this way. Well, as we turn to Luke 7 this morning, I want to ask, what kind of faith does Jesus notice? What kind of faith does he see and respond to? What kind of faith does he acknowledge? And so with that, open your Bibles to Luke chapter 7. We're going to read verses 1 to 10. God's Word says, When he, that is Jesus, concluded saying all this to the people who were listening, he entered Capernaum. A centurion servant who was highly valued by him was sick and about to die. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent some Jewish leaders, Jewish elders to him, requesting him to come and save the life of his servant. When they reached Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He is worthy for you to grant this, because he loves our nation and has built us a synagogue. Jesus went with them, and when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to tell him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, since I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof. That is why I didn't even consider myself worthy to come to you, but say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man placed under authority, having soldiers under my command. I say this to one, go, and he goes. I say to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. And Jesus heard this and was amazed at him. And turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found so great a faith even in Israel. When those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant in good health. This is the word of the Lord. So we'll have three points as we work through our text this morning. And the first is simply bad faith. Bad faith. Jesus just got done teaching people his longest teaching passage in all of Luke. And he's now back in Capernaum. And that's when we learn that there is a servant of a centurion who is sick, so sick that he's about to die. And not only do we learn about a sick servant, but we learn about a pretty odd thing, that there's this centurion that values 
this servant. And why this is kind of weird is that in that culture, servants were kind of disposable. Like one got sick and died, just get another servant. But here we see that this particular servant is valued by this centurion. And in this society, there are just people that are placed on low on the totem pole and higher on the totem pole. But the centurion, he he seems to recognize the value of this servant. And that's when the text gets a little bit more strange because it says in verse 3 that when the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent some Jewish elders to him requesting him to come and save the life of his servant. The centurion sends people to, to reach out to Jesus and not just anyone, he sends some Jewish elders. You see, centurions were, were people who oversaw a hundred soldiers. They were people with power. They weren't like the most powerful people in the Roman army, but they were people with power. They were people with also significant amount of wealth and significant influence. They could be brutal people. They were sometimes mercenaries. And they were also Gentiles. Now, if you're unfamiliar with the Bible, Gentiles are this category of people that are, that are, sit, that are not Jews. So if you're here and you're not Jewish, you are a Gentile. I am a Gentile by, by this kind of definition. And what's interesting about this is because we're going to see is what does Jesus do with the Gentile? Because so far in Israel's history, and at least in this particular time, Gentiles were kind of seen as outside of the story of God. They were kind of seen as not God's people. But there were some people that would be like God-fearing Gentiles, but they were still not quite the same as as someone who is purely God's people. And then compound this with the fact that centurions also worked for Rome, which is the occupying force at the time. So what does this man do, this Gentile centurion do, when his servant gets sick? Well, he remembers hearing about Jesus. And we've already seen him do some pretty amazing healings. And he thinks, I got to get this guy to come. So he finds some Jewish elders and sends them along. And why would you pick people like Jewish elders? Well, because if you're a centurion with authority and maybe a Gentile and you hear about Jesus from Nazareth, you're thinking like, who are the people with influence that could maybe convince him to come and heal my servant? So he thinks, man, the Jewish elders, they're probably the people to go get him. And so this... This isn't really that much different than society today, right? Like, like remember when you were like a little kid in elementary school and you liked somebody and you would um, say to your mutual friend, hey, can you go see if this person likes me? And then they would go and they would ask, do you remember it? Just me? It's weird. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but not just like that. Think about in business, right? Like if you apply for a job and, and your friend works at that company, you say, Say to your friend, hey, can you, can you go into the hiring manager, let them know that you, that you know me and maybe um, they'll, hire, they'll hire me? It's not who you know, or it's not what you know, but who you know, that kind of thing. Well, the, this centurion is thinking, man, I know some Jewish leaders. I got a difficult situation. I got a servant I care about who can get me Jesus. And so he finds these elders and they go. 
And that's when we learn a little bit about what bad faith, false faith looks like. Because look what it says when they get to Jesus. But the leaders come to Jesus, and the text says they, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, he is worthy for you to grant this because he loves our nation and has built us a synagogue. This, these Jewish leaders approach Jesus with kind of a presumptuous attitude. They, they kind of assume that, that this guy is worthy because he built a synagogue and that he loved the Jewish nation. And we aren't completely sure why a centurion who worked for Rome would build a synagogue. He was either sympathetic to the Jewish people. He could have been a God-fearing Gentile. He could have been trying to build a name for himself in the culture. Hey, look what I did. He could have just wanted order because there was this kind of philosophy in Rome that when you took over a place, if you supported the the religion, that you would have order in your society. So who knows why he did it. But either way, they thought that this guy was worthy because of his works. They thought that this guy was worthy because of what he did. And some of us, can fall into this same trap. That that God actually looks at us because we're worth it. We're worthy. Some of us think that like, hey, my life is pretty good. God should pay attention to me. That look at my life. They think that he's worthy. But they couldn't misunderstand Jesus more. They were acting in bad faith. But then we see that, like, so it's wrong to act towards God in works faith kind of faith, but it's another thing to, like, enter into a bartering relationship with God, right? So we see that they, they barter with God, and, and we don't, we're not really a society that barters a lot these days. The last kind of major bartering thing we had is when we would trade toilet paper for Lysol wipes. <laughs> but... But many of us, like, this is how we relate to God. God, if I do this, will you do X? God, if I bring something to the table, would you bring, hold up your end of the deal and respond in kind? In, in these religious leaders, these Jewish leaders at the time are saying, God, this guy brought something to the table. You need to act. But this isn't the way we relate to God. We're not in a business relationship with the Almighty. We're not equals coming to an agreement. We're out of toilet paper in the relationship. We can't leverage him with our goodness. He can't be manipulated. He's God. And we have these similar ways of acting in our own world. And we see that relating to God based on our works and relating to God thinking that we can somehow manipulate him by what we do is acting in bad faith. So if that's bad faith, what does good faith look like? So what does Jesus do in response to their plea? Still he goes, and I love that. He still goes. Presumably he cares and knows about the centurion. He's just a compassionate person too, as we've seen throughout. But then as he's on his way there, the centurion sends servants 
And now notice that like in the first part of the text, the Jewish leaders, they're just communicating their own, their own opinions about the guy. But, but notice what the centurion, the centurion actually sends a message with these other servants. And it says this. You can find this right in your text. In verse 6, it says, Lord, don't trouble yourself, since I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. This is why I didn't even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word, and my servant will be healed. Say the word, and my servant will be healed. I am not worthy. The Jewish leaders related to God on the basis of what they did. And here's the centurion saying, God, I'm not worthy. And this is what good faith is like. First, we see that it is pleading. That it pleads with God on the basis of who he is. The Jewish leaders got this part half right. They've gone to the right person. They pleaded, but their pleas were completely different. They tried to get Jesus to act because they were trying to coerce him. But here the centurion is saying, God, I'm not worthy. I just need you to act. He kind of comes with this kind of open-handed posture towards God, trusting in him. I remember when I was in college, I, I uh, let the inspection sticker on my car last go six months past due. And part of it, I think, was a little bit of seeing how long I could go before I got pulled over. Um, but part of it was also because I was like, I didn't really have a lot of money and the, and the vehicle needed some work. And so I was just like kind of in a bind. And, and so I got pulled over one day and a cop wrote me a ticket for $188 um, for not having my inspection sticker done. And I was thinking, well, well, this stinks because I have to pay $188 and I have to fix the truck and didn't have a lot of money. So, so I decided to go before the magistrate and see if she would like hear me. And I, I went before the magistrate at the time and she was kind enough to just be like, give me a certain amount of days to get my vehicle inspected. And I remember just kind of like, how do you plea in that you have to fill out this little piece of paperwork and it's like, oh, I'm guilty. I'm just kind of asking for mercy. Like I'm just kind of asking for, for some grace. And, and she was kind enough to give it to me and that's, and I got my truck inspected and all was well. But but that's kind of what's going on here, right? He's coming to God empty-handed. He Notice, he's not giving his accolades to God. He just pleads before him. And this kind of rolls into the next thing because he is dependent upon Jesus to be who Jesus claimed to be. He heard about this person who was doing all of these healings and he comes to him and says, I'm not worthy. I just need, I, I need you to do this. And he's dependent on Jesus to show up. Like, will he do it? He's at his wit's end. He can't do anything about it. He can't mobilize 100 people. There's nothing he can do about his servant but be dependent upon Jesus to heal him. So he pleads. He's dependent. But he's also incredibly humble. Humility is a trait that we all love when we see it, but our culture doesn't really value it. Even there's even like humble brags, right? Like ways to boast in a humble sort of way. 
And sometimes it's the humble that get passed up in our own culture and presumably theirs. But humility is something that God sees and looks to. Isaiah 66, one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture, says, this is what the Lord says. Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where could you possibly build a house for me? And where would my resting place be? My hand made all these things. And so they all came into being. This is the Lord's declaration. I will look favorably on this kind of person. One who is what? Humble and submissive in spirit and trembles at my word. I'm God is what this text says. Jesus is God. And and the centurion comes and he's like, I got nothing to bring to the table. I can only plead to you, be dependent on you, and recognize that you are God and that God looks to the humble. The Pharisees, or I'm sorry, the leaders at the time were saying, he's worthy, he's worthy. He's saying, I'm not worthy, I'm not worthy. And he conveys Jesus' superiority, which is our final, he declares authority. Look at the end of verse 6. He says to Jesus, Jesus, just, just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man placed under authority, having soldiers under my command. I say to this one, go. And he goes to, the other, to another, come and he comes. And to my servant, do this. And he does it. Centurion, he gets his authority from another person above him. And they get their authority from Rome. And he recognizes authority. And with this statement, what he is declaring is that Jesus is from God. He's saying, I get authority because I come from, because I'm, I'm an agent of Rome. And that's a lot of authority in this culture. And when he's, when he's saying to Jesus, just speak the word, he is, he is recognizing that Jesus is the one sent from God. He is the one sent from God, that he can heal, that he has authority. And the centurion is just recognizing and declaring this authority and saying that he can do it. He's connecting Christ with the God who sent him. And how does Jesus respond to all of this? It's our last point. Jesus responds. Well, it says that he looks... And verse 9 says, Jesus heard this and was amazed at him. And turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found so great a faith even in Israel. Jesus is amazed at his faith. It's kind of an astonishing statement because it's one of only two times in all of Scripture, where it says that Jesus was amazed or marveled. And what does he marvel at? He marvels at the faith, not of the Jewish people, not of the leaders, but of the faith of someone who assumed to be outside of the story of God. Faith shows up in the unlikely places. And if you read the book of Acts, if we fast forward to the book of Acts, we would see that that faith shows up among the Gentiles and it shows up among the Jews. Faith springs up in all sorts of unlikely places. And this text is the prelude for all of that. But it's also good news to those of us 
who feel like we've been overlooked by God because our lives are a mess, because we have sections of our lives that are in shambles, because because we, we just don't think we have anything to bring to the table. And the good news through this text is that you don't. And that Jesus doesn't say, pull yourself together. He doesn't say, get things in order. He says, he recognizes this faith. It's the kind of faith that Jesus sees is humble. So if you think you're kind of far from, from the grace and love and gaze of Jesus, you're actually closer to the centurion in the story than you think. Because you already recognize that you got nothing to bring to the table. So friends, I want to encourage you to come to Jesus. And listen, this is not a text that we just like get to manipulate about God. It's not about the greatness of faith that we have. We can't just like conjure up enough faith and God heals. That's not how things work. We don't just get to name it and claim it and say, I believe it, so God will do it. That's not how it, it works. It's a faith that actually declares the authority of Jesus and trust him to act according to his character and according to his goodness. What's the kind of faith that Jesus sees? It's the kind of faith that just comes to him open-handedly and declares who Jesus is. You can come to Jesus. It's no coincidence that this passage falls directly after the passage that's about building your life on a firm foundation and a passage about a tree and its fruit. Because what we have here is the centurion choosing to build his life in one small step on God. And notice that the relationship isn't based on the centurion. It is based upon God's grace and on his mercy. We cannot strong arm God to loving us because God is loving and his grace is there. The end of the sermon, we see just like the passing remark. Oh yeah, and when they got home, the servant was in good health. Jesus is Lord over death and dying. He's Lord over life and death and everything in between. And we calls us to relate to him as the Lord, to declare his authority, knowing that we don't have to to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. We don't have to make ourselves right. We don't have to have things put together. We don't have to know the right people, the right words to say. We can just come to Jesus and say, Your Lord, you're over authority. You have authority. You're over all things. And what's amazing is, Jesus didn't have to show up in the place to heal the servant. Friends, the people who read this text when it was first written would have been people who didn't see Jesus, most likely. Some might have. But there would have been a handful of people who didn't see Jesus. And this is a reminder that this servant was healed by the word of Christ. That that Christ stepped into the life of the centurion 
And he stepped into the life of the servant without even physically showing up. So if he can step into the life of a centurion and a servant without even physically being there, he can step into your life without him physically being here. And he can change things. And he can meet you in your place of deepest need and brokenness. There's another text that says, though you don't see him, you, you love him and have an unspeakable joy. Though you don't see him, you know him and you love him and have unspeakable joy. Friends, Christ is able to step into your life. He stepped into this centurion's life because he is a God of grace. So I want to encourage you, what are the areas of your life that need Christ's lordship? What are the areas of your life where you're trying to relate to God on the basis of of what you bring to the table? Because the kind of faith that Jesus sees isn't about what we bring to the table. It's a kind of faith that comes empty-handed and trusts who Jesus claims to be. Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress. Helpless look to thee for grace. This is how we come to Jesus. And notice that Jesus doesn't say, Centurion, go get your act together and come back. He's like, look at this faith. 